0: How y'all doing today? Yeah? Yeah? Good? Y'all came out for this one. Snow scared you a little bit of the early service. Let there be light. Did you like how that was? (laughs) Man, it's good to be here. I know I look a little confused today. I know, I know, I know. And here's the deal. I grew up in Indianapolis. A lot of fond memories of the Colts losing before the Peyton, I literally moved out of Indy when they drafted Peyton. So yeah, thank you. Some of you understand like, Ooh, that was, those were tough days. Those were tough days. But so I, I, I have this like Colts fan in me, but then, you know, y'all signed Peyton and we became Broncos fans cheering on the Broncos to the Super Bowl win. And, and then I've been asked this whole week, like, who are you cheering for? And I said, I don't. My heart will tell me. So kickoff is happening soon. So I don't need you to be checking your phones on that. But I'm feeling about 11.15, my heart will leap and I'll know what the spirit wants me to do. And so at that point, I will either take off my shirt or take off my hat. So I just want everybody to know that's that's what's gonna happen. That was the second service joke only. I just want you to know that did not happen in the first service. They're not ready for that joke. Well, inside your program or some talk notes. We're gonna have a little bit of fun here as we explore what God might have for us today as we continue our series, Hope Rising. If you're a guest, thank you for being here today. My name is Ryan Howell. I am the lead pastor here at Crossroads and it is my privilege to have served here for this incredible tenure of six weeks. It's been fun for me. I don't know about you all, but uh, it's great to be here and great to just be in the shadow of such amazing folks that have, and by folks, I mean you all who are Crossroads Church doing incredible work here in the region. Thank you for your love and your just welcoming of our family. Uh, and, uh, and it is good to be here. So we're in this series, Hope Rising. Hope Rising. We're talking about how God can take piles of ashes in our lives and bring something new. It's the whole theme of what has become known as the Christian faith. I would prefer to call it the way of following Jesus. The whole message of Jesus is really a rhythm it's death and resurrection. It's death and resurrection. This is what God does. We see it in nature, we see it all around us that there is this universal theme of death and resurrection, right? And uh, we've been talking about how this God of the universe that is love, that holds all things together, wants to rise out of the ashes of our lives, something beautiful. And we started with this anchor verse, which is found in Isaiah 61 verse three. My clicker's not working back there again. Thanks for doing that. I appreciate it. There's a little button they have to push and there's so much going on. Sometimes that button doesn't get pushed. And so we just say, Hey, push the button and it works. It's like magic. Oh, sorry. Halloween. We'll talk about magic. So, Isaiah Isaiah sixty one verse three. There is an alien in the back of the room, which is kind of fun for me as I preach. Everybody turn around. <laughs> it's like they asked me if I was going to do this message in a in a, a costume today, and uh, and I thought, given the topic, probably not a good idea. But maybe next year we'll do a little lighter hearted topic. It'd be fun. But uh, so Isaiah sixty one three says that to all who mourn in Israel, he God will give a crown of beauty for ashes, a joy of blessing, a joyous blessing instead of mourning festive praise instead of despair that God has forever and will always be in the, the, the Phoenix rising business, right? That is the, that is the beauty of faith. That is the beauty of faith, right? And so uh, today we wanna talk about an area of of our lives that many of us have an intersection with, whether it's through the television, whether it's in our own life, or whether it is in the the life of a family member or a friend. And we see it more and more. There's been a a massive uptick over the last 10 years when it comes to addiction in our lives, in our communities. Uh, Myself, about 10 years ago, oh, I guess it was longer than that. And it was about 12 years, I moved to Maine uh, from Boston, the Boston area, or the Boston area, depending upon who you ask, and uh, moved up to Maine and uh, moved into this position of being a senior pastor, lead pastor for the first time. And, and sometimes, you know, all vocations, whatever your vocation is, there are certain expectations of you in that vocation, right? So if you are a, uh, a teacher, you're supposed to act like a teacher, whatever that means. I don't know what that means, but you're supposed to act like a teacher. When you are a doctor, you act like a doctor. When you're a carpenter, you act like a Carpenter when you're a stay-at-home parent, you act like a stay-at-home parent, right? And so there's these expectations that people put on you. You might find it hard to believe that people do put that expectation on people that are in vocational ministry. They have the title pastor, they have these things, this is what you're supposed to do. And I don't know if you've met me or not. Not exactly the category that I fit in. And so it's interesting for me to to find a space and to find a person in my life to just be a friend. And not have to like be put all the pretense on and have all the Bible answers and to, to just be yourself. And so when we moved up to Maine in that kind of first year, uh, we met this we met this couple and particularly this guy who man we just hit it off. Just he was just a real down to earth guy, carpenter guy, uh, had a like a, a, a handyman business and um, just a real fun guy. They had this really amazing. We all have amazing stories. Their story was one of how Jesus had kind of intersected their life through a friend at the church, uh, working construction. He actually helped build the building, wasn't a follower of Jesus, uh, was living a massive party lifestyle, he and uh, his wife or his girlfriend at the time. And they just kind of eked their way into community, right? They just kind of, Jesus leaked into them and like really just kind of became central and they they really discovered the love that God had for them and massive transformation took place. And, And like I said, just salt to the earth, down to earth guy would do anything to help, all that great stuff. And uh, one day, after about three or four years of just friendship, and he was my movie guy, we'd call, we'd, let's go see a movie, and i never have to like explain why as a pastor I was going to see that movie, (laughs) you know? So uh, (laughs) I refer back to not being a good pastor, I guess. But so we would go out and hang out, and we'd just be ourselves and have good conversation. Well, one day I got a phone call that my friend had fallen from about 20 feet on some scaffolding. And he had taken a massive fall and they had rushed him to the uh, emergency room, the hospital, and he was in uh, surgery and they didn't know whether or not he was gonna make it. And so we went over to there, uh, to the hospital to be with them. And I didn't realize sitting in that like waiting room with his wife, that what was gonna ensue and happen over the next six years of their lives and our lives of the chaos and the confusion and the hurt and the pain from this massive traumatic injury. Because what what grew out of that traumatic injury was a a lot of physical uh, restrictions. My friend had broke his back in numerous places, broke his hip, um, had had some head trauma, uh, and so was never really going to fully recover and gain all of his uh, gain all of the skills set back that he had before in terms of carpentry and things like that. I mean, he recovered, but it was in a lot of pain, chronic pain every day of his life. And he also went through a lot of emotional pain, an emotional pain of losing his profession, of losing everything, lost his home, lost everything because of the fall. He was a subcontractor, no insurances were covered. Uh, that business of contractor, subcontractor can be gray in a lot of states and who's supposed to carry the insurance. And so there's a lot of pain Pain, turned into a pretty big lawsuit uh, between uh, this person and another friend of mine who was a part of the church who had actually been a huge part of bringing this person to the Lord. And so you have all this spiritual trauma, mental trauma, physical trauma going on. And eventually, we just he just began to withdrew. He just withdrew from everything. They were part of our small group in our home and we would stop seeing them. The lawsuit happened and that was the end. And then mind you, they lived like a mile away. And this is a pretty small community. We weren't talking about this big city, right? And so we just would kind of reach out and do everything we could and and just to invite back into community. And there was just a distance. There was a separation there. And then one day uh, a Facebook message got returned and my friend responded and said, yeah, let's get together. I I need to get together. So I went over and just found he was in a bad space. The pain medication that he was on had become uh, an addiction and uh, he just said, I need help. So we spent the better portion of two weeks trying to find a uh, detox center that was free that he could afford getting in making the phone calls, all that stuff. And we were able to do that. And then they slowly started to reconnect, right? So we started to have this relationship kind of reemerge that actually came back into the church building and the, uh, our whole church just really embraced and encouraged and loved them. And, and it was just this wonderful kind of moment, but there was still this kind of drifting in and out and drifting back and forth and struggle that they experienced with ever fully connecting in. And I wish I had a really happy ending to this story. But I don't even have an ending to the story because we're still in it. Because when we left our community, there was still, I hadn't had contact with my friend for about five, six months. I don't know what he was doing, if he had kind of relapsed into the addiction to the pain medicine, if he was still doing well. I don't know. And so we just walked away with this kind of open space of what is the, the scoop here. And when I was going through that with him, I realized I don't really know anything about addiction like this. I know about addiction in my own life, the things that I struggle with, what I wrestle with, those types of things. But I really had never had an intersection with a chemical dependency with a friend. It was just not part of my story at that time. And so I thought, well, if I need to figure this out, the only way to do that is to read a book or watch a TED Talk. Those are right, that's how you learn anything these days. And so I just kind of began to talk with folks and do some research and listen. I came across this TED Talk by a guy named Johan Hari. And in this TED Talk, which is entitled, Everything You Think You Know About Addiction Is Wrong, my world was kind of rocked in one sense, but it was also like, duh, right? It was one of those moments. And so I want to say this as we kind of march into this talk uh, is that I am probably the least qualified person to really talk about addiction. Not because I don't have my own addictions. That's not the the issue is that I'm really, I'm not an addiction counselor. I don't know if you know it or not, but the word addict or addiction is not found in the Bible. And believe it or not, the Bible is my area of expertise. Uh, So, so like I, I I say that right now, that I come to this conversation with you all uh, really in a humble way. That I recognize that there may be things that I say that your intersection with addiction would say, well, my experience has told me something different and I wanna validate that right now. And I want you to know that I think that's wonderful. And that there may be things that I have to share today that you go, I don't know about that. Then that's what's a wonderful experience in response. And there may be some things that you go, "Ah, oh, that's interesting. I'm gonna look into that. But please don't hear me as saying there's one singularity in how we intersect and work with our own addictions and with people that have addictions in our lives. Because I don't believe there is one path, but I believe there are some big principle concepts that we need to grab a hold of. And so he gives this TED Talk, right? And I'm gonna share a lot of the TED Talk with you some of the insights from it. I'd encourage you to go watch it. But um, he says, what if everything you think you know about addiction is wrong? And he starts with this understanding that what we think we know about addiction is that it's all about chemical hooks and it's all about what, what I would call punitive justice, right? So addiction is about the chemical, the chemicals in our body craving an outside chemical and it becomes this physical reality. And everything in the West, everything in America, everything in, let's say, uh, the the UK and and Western Europe it's the way in which it's dealt with addiction, particularly drug addiction, uh, has been through punitive justice. Now, our justice system, for the most part, is a punitive system. It is built on this idea that there is a punishment for the crime, right? You pay for the, the, the crime that you've committed. And so the idea is it's, it's a whole lot in, in terms of the life of a, an addict or a person who's struggling with addiction. The answer has been for so many years, right? The answer has been, well, shame. Fear of loss of of relationships, right? The traditional intervention is these relationships are in jeopardy if you don't stop, right? And then like isolation, punishment, prison. Like those have been like the standard three ways to deal with it because of the belief that this is about chemicals and we need to get people off the chemical and then threaten with fear and then that will change. Now the problem is it's not working. (laughs) So this causes people to say, wait a second, like it's not working, and so there was a gentleman in the 70s, a doctor, his name was Bruce Alexander. And he looked at the research that had been done earlier in the 20th century that led to this thinking. And the research that had been done was this. Listen, you take a rat, you put it in a cage by itself. And once you put that rat in the cage by itself, you give it two bottles of water. One that's clean, clear Colorado mountain water. And one that is laced with Cocaine. And what happened over and over and over and over and over again in the experiment was the rat would consistently go obsessively to the cocaine-laced water and would eventually overdose and die. And there's the research. This is what it is. It's chemical dependency. It didn't matter what it was doing to the, person, to the rat's physical body. There was a chemical dependency. And so now we have to just keep people away from that drug. And so that was kind of the basis of the research. Well, this guy, Dr. Bruce Alexander, he comes along the scene in the late 70s and mid-70s and says, hey, something's wrong with this experiment. We've taken a rat and we've put him in a cage all by themselves. So he says, let's do a new experiment. He creates Rat Park. Rat Park is basically Disneyland for rats. Right? He creates this space that is huge, has all kinds of wheels for the rats to run in, all kinds of little balls for them to play with, cheese everywhere, lots and lots of friends, lots and lots of rat lovemaking going on, like the whole deal, right? This is adult church, right? We'll say that, you know, in the nicest way. But the, like these rats are living the high life. They're connected. They've got all the fun that they want. There's other rats to hang out with. And here's what the research showed. They put the same two bottles of water in that setting and the rats never overdosed, rarely obsessively went to the water that was laced with cocaine because they were content. And so out of that research came this big question. What if addiction isn't about our chemical hooks, but about our cages? What if addiction is about our adaptation to the environment that we're in? What is? What if it's really about our disconnection, our lack of connectivity? And I would suggest, given what's happened over the last twenty years with the boom of our, our of technology and our and our connectedness with. Facebook and Twitter and all these things that I think are a true sense of community. I'm not down on any of those things. But I think what has happened is we've seen a rise in addiction and the research shows how important connectivity is. The addiction that we see is really a symptom of a disconnection epidemic. That we've lost genuine, authentic, life-affirming, life-giving community. And now, we can stay connected in a lot of ways. We can get information. We can even encourage one another. But the real interconnectivity that happens in flesh and blood community is down. All the research shows that. And so a little bit later on, there was a professor in the Netherlands recently who came out, okay, who like was going on and on about was going on this research, and he suggested that maybe we shouldn't even be using the word addiction. Maybe we should be using the word bonding. Because what happens and what he would suggest was that as human beings, we're wired to connect with one another. We're wired in such a way that we need meaningful, purposeful human connectivity and and purposeful work. And he said, so what happens is when when you have this longing, desire, innate wiring as part of the human species to connect relationally, and that connection can't happen for whatever reason, trauma, trauma. It doesn't happen because there's just life has beat you down. It doesn't happen because geographically you cannot connect. Whatever it might be, the body craves something that will substitute and numb the pain. And then we have the birth of addiction. And you think about it, the language that we even use when we talk about uh, overcoming addiction, we talk about withdrawal signs, right? Right withdrawal symptoms, the word usually refers to the physical symptoms of withdrawal when you go into a detox facility or a detox center, or you're, you're trying to get something out of your life. And that doesn't, it's not always drugs. I and mean, we gonna be addicted to a lot of things, right? Like if you think you're not addicted to sugar, go two weeks without sugar. Like I can tell you right now, there are withdrawal symptoms to getting sugar out of your system. But the reality is he says, like, I, and I'm saying the language of withdrawal even shows that there's a bond that has happened to replace a different bond. Now, this is all the research. So what do you do when the Bible, like if I'm a person of faith. Jesus, I think is kind of centered to my life most of the time. I, I mean, I'm gonna be honest, I'm not perfect, right? I mean, some of you think I am and I appreciate that, but uh, just get to know me a little bit, right? So, so what do you do? Well, I start to say, well, Okay, so the research is showing that connectivity, connection, purpose is important. Does the Bible, like this foundational kind of document that I read through the lens of Jesus that helps me make sense of trying to honor this God that is behind everything, does that scripture speak of this at all? And I was fascinated that absolutely fundamental to the thread of humanity throughout the scripture is connectivity, Ecclesiastes chapter 4 verse 12 which is probably the most depressing book in the Bible. Right? If you've ever if you've ever read or studied scripture and you started with Ecclesiastes you'd be like this is the worst religion ever. Why would I ever go to church? These people are crazy, right? It's just, everything is meaningless, it's worthless. I tried everything, I did everything. I had all the wives, I had all the money, I had all the education. At the end of the day, I saw poor people. I saw lazy people get rich. I saw, you know, really wealthy people lose everything. I saw the the people who should be destroyed by God, elevated, like it's all nonsense, vanity of vanities. It's worthless. Here's the deal. Eat, drink, be merry, enjoy work a little bit, Good night, drop the mic, end the book. Like that's, (laughs) you're like, I'd go to that church, right? That's the, but there is this statement in there in the midst of all of it, right? Where the writer of Ecclesiastes says, a person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. And what I read when I, what I see when I read this is a person standing alone can be attacked and defeated unless you know karate, <laughs> like me. What I read, my, this is the truth. The defeat begins with disconnection. The defeat in any area of our lives begins when we start to disconnect. I can look to the, the relationships in my life that fell apart and you can go back and say, where did the disconnection start to happen? I can look at the things, the habits that I've introduced into my life and if I really dig in and if I really pause and I meditate and I consider and I ask Jesus, where did disconnection start to take place? I can find it. You know, what's fascinating is Genesis, the very first book in, our, in, our, in the Christian Bible, which is the first part, the Hebrew Bible. It's probably not the first book written by the way, in the Old Testament, uh, but it is first in the chronology of things and how it's placed. And it gives these narratives around creation that are are, are wonderful narratives about the Jewish people and their understanding of the universe and how the world came into existence, the way ancient people thought about the world. It's, It's amazing what it tells us about the belief about humanity and the belief about God in very early human civilization. And very, very early on, a part of the human narrative was that we are not supposed to be alone. Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, after this culmination of creation during one of the creation accounts in Scripture. By the way, there are multiple accounts of creation in Scripture multiple accounts. The Psalms are filled with creation accounts where the God of the universe splits Leviathan in half and creates order out of chaos. And it's this very ancient Near Eastern way of talking about creation through violent like submission. And then you have this very unique narrative of six days. And then you have a different narrative of God creates everything and fills the planet with human beings. And we have this tendency in our tradition to wanna like blend all that together. But there's a great diversity of these in scripture and they're all beautiful and they all can teach us things. And in one of these creation accounts, the culmination of creation, uh, God says, it's not good for man to be alone. It's not good for man to be alone. Goes on to say, let's create a helper suitable for this man. Now, some of you in the room are like, see, helper. Women are helpers. Women are helpers. Helper, woman, help me, woman. (laughs) Maybe you see where I think that logic belongs. But <laughs> but on a more theological note, <laughs> the same word for helper there is the word that is used to describe the Holy Spirit in our lives. And I don't think any of us would presume that the God of the universe is subordinate to us. Right? So we should just be careful. It's a little side note there. But the point is that the text and the belief was that It wasn't good for man to be in this place alone, for humanity to sit by by himself or herself, but that there should be a suitable partnership to do all this work, all this activity of, of holding creation together, of innovation and invention and creation and art and literature and all the things that have come about from the human creative spirit, right? It's best done in partnership. And so from this earliest point, the earliest understandings of ourselves and our relationship to God and relationship to one another was that emotionally healthy human beings need meaningful relationships and purposeful work. That if we are gonna be emotionally healthy human beings, we have to have these things in our lives that are fundamental. And when those get out of whack, when something happens and disconnects us from meaningful relationships and purposeful work, bad things happen. And some of you are saying, Ryan, you have no idea where I work. I have, there's no, it's not purposeful. And I get it. Not every one of us has had the opportunity, the access to live out the dream of being able to do whatever you wanna do. And I get it that many of us in this room, we wake up every morning and you get up and you go to work so you can pay the bills. And you say, I don't find anything purposeful or meaningful in that. But that's not, don't hear the word work as a vocation. Hear the word work as something you can pour yourself into and discover deep meaning and deep purpose. It's the volunteering at the homeless shelter. It's the volunteering as a big brother, a big sister. It's the teaching of a a kid's class here at Crossroads. It's participating as an usher, a greeter. It's being on a, a music team. It's when we give ourselves for somebody else, So their benefit, for their good, for the good of the universe, it's in that space that we find meaningful work. And so from the various early spaces, we see that that scripture and our understanding of humanity is lining up with this new research around it. And then I always ask this question when I come to like a, a topic that really isn't fully addressed in scripture. Does Jesus have anything to say about this? Does Jesus have anything to say about connectivity, purpose, meaning, any of that? And the answer is yes. Jesus has a lot to say about this. In fact, in John chapter 15, we find this incredible, like very intimate moment that Jesus is with his disciples. These folks that he has poured his life into, that he has shared and walked as partners in this ministry. And and at one point, Jesus says this, he says, remain in me and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. So, this whole passage, I would encourage you to read it sometime. It's really, Jesus is talking about the importance of connectivity, that as he is connected to the Father, the disciples should be connected to Jesus, and by extension, his followers should be connected to him. And what's so powerful for me about Jesus? And why I feel like there's so much that Jesus has to offer beyond a get out of hell free card is that I don't know of any other teaching. I don't know of any other way. I don't know of any way of understanding how I can be connected to unconditional love like Jesus. That Jesus is that vine that keeps me connected to the unconditional love of the father, this great metaphor for God. And you could use the word mother I don't think it matters. If you have had a bad father experience and the word mother helps you understand that unconditional love, go for it. I never had a bad father experience. So I don't, I don't for me, that doesn't affect my understanding of a good God that loves me, that is caring for me. that is understanding of me, but I recognize that that is an issue for many. But that's what Jesus does it, and Jesus, I think, calls us to remain in Him so that we can stay connected to the Father, and what Jesus shows us is this space of unconditional love, unconditional love. And so when we think of all this stuff, here's where I think the, the, the landing point is for us, is that relationships, purpose and unconditional love are the keys to healing addiction. I really do believe that. Not only are they the keys to healing addiction, I think they're the keys to preventing addiction. So here's a few pro tips for your everyday normal life. You're gonna walk out of here, right, today, after the, hopefully after the Oktoberfest, and you're gonna live your life. So here's some things to think about. Number one, learn to braid your life. Learn to braid your life. A cord of three strands is not easily broken. I wanna encourage you in your life to develop the habit of braiding, you, yourself, and community. This is a preventative measure as well as a recovery measure. You, yourself, and community. I happen to believe that a healthy community of Jesus followers is the best community to braid into your life. It's not the only one. I think there are good ones out there, but I think it is a great space, especially one like ours that says, everybody's welcome all the time. And so we learn to braid ourselves. And Celebrate Recovery is a community of people doing the hard work of braiding. They're doing the hard work of rebonding their lives to the, to more appropriate things. So what is rebonding? Rebonding is recognizing that I've bonded to something that's unhealthy to replace a disconnection that happened. It's deconnecting from that thing. And that's a long process, okay? I say it in 10 seconds, but that can be lifetime, that deconnection. And then I'm reconnecting all while staying connected to God and to others. And that deconnect, reconnect, those are overlapping things. This is not like step one, step two, step three, right? I get it, it's a 12-step program, but that's not how this works, right? I mean, there's overlap. I am deconnecting from this, this, this harmful agent that I bonded to. And while I'm deconnecting, I'm reconnecting to healthier things in community, right? And so some days I'm forward and back and forward and back. Here's a great story of Leviu who's a part of our church, who's sharing a bit of his rebonding story through Celebrate Recovery. Check it out.
1: Hi, I'm uh, Levi Schneider, a grateful believer in Christ, uh, in recovery from uh, alcohol. Um, originally came from uh, Romania 17 years ago, uh, and this is kind of where the story started. The story began 17 years ago when I came uh, in a country, and um, kind of everything changed, Uh, family, uh, friends, uh, the social life, uh, job, career, everything, even language, Uh, and all of a sudden I felt this this void that uh, somehow I had to fill and uh, unfortunately with the simple coping mechanism was drinking, uh, so I started using alcohol to kind of fill up this void. Uh, unfortunately, my wife was doing uh, the same thing, uh, showing me a strong face. And um, pretty soon we kind of, Uh, our relationship started to go down we could not communicate anymore and uh, we're not functioning right. I started drinking more and more uh, to cover this pain and um, uh, pretty soon um, I hit uh, a bottom, and um, I had to do something. Uh, fortunately, I met uh, a friend, Danny from CR, and uh, he told me there is uh, hope and there is an alternative. So, so celebrate recovery uh, uses the twelve steps uh, developed by AA, and uh, also the eight principles were uh, Jesus' uh, beatitudes. Um, It's a safe place where everybody comes and uh, share their uh, hurts and hang-ups and they celebrate their recovery. Uh, At the end of the 12 steps, if you ask uh, someone that's been through the program, what did you recover, Uh, usually the answer is it's themselves, they recover themselves. So when I first came at uh, CR, uh, when I met uh, Danny, uh, I was in a, such a sweet denial that I didn't even realize I was in denial. Um, I knew that something's, I was not happy. I knew something, something was wrong, but I couldn't point it. Um, you need a lot of courage to, to realize that something's not okay with you and then you need a little bit more courage to to point it out and even more to share your story with uh, with people and that's part of the process and it's uh, liberating. if you feel like something's not right there, if you feel like you can do more, you can be happier, or not necessarily looking on the outside for your happiness or things to make you happy. Come talk with us.
0: Did you hear in his story that he was connected, Romania, family, and then the disconnection starts, right? We're all vulnerable to that. So I wanna encourage you as well as you find yourself intersecting perhaps these moments, maybe you have a family member, a friend, is to be Portugal, be Portugal. What in the world does that mean? I'm gonna give you this in one minute, okay? In 2000, Portugal had a massive epidemic. They were the the leading nation in Europe when it came to heroin addiction. 1% of the population of the whole nation was addicted to heroin. That is astronomical when it comes to national numbers. 1%, Right? So they put together a group of people, the prime minister, the opposition uh, leadership came together and said, we got to fix this. They they tasked a group of scientists, doctors, uh, politicians to come up with a solution. They came back a year later and said, we need to decriminalize all drug use. But if we do that, we have to pour every dollar we would have poured into the punitive justice and put it into restorative justice programs, restoration, recovery, job training. And that's what they did. So they set out on this process in 2001. And 19 years later, the research is showing really, really good movement because they did things like, okay, there's a problem, identify the problem. Rather than putting a person in prison, they they have steps to help, restorative care, therapy, uh, psychological work, all those things. But then they also said, we need to reconnect you. And so when a person was ready, if they were trained as a mechanic or technician, they would go to a, a, a shop and say, if you will hire this person, we will pay half their salary, tax dollars. We'll pay half their salary for one year. So they poured all that money that was used in separation, all that money that was used in punitive. And said, how, do we, how do we get programs that actually pour us in? And, and, and as they did research and as they interviewed people, when they started to have a reason to get up in the morning, the addiction started to lose its, its authority and its grip. And so unconditional love, the ability to as best as we possibly can offer and extend unconditional love, restorative care, work with people, in terms of belief in connecting them and and developing that. So if you are in that space, those are fundamental and foundational. And then the the last thing is for all of us is a preventative. Invest time in real deep flesh and blood relationships. I get it. These relationships are far more complex and nuanced than a Facebook friend. I I wanna thank some of you for staying today (laughs) because you walked in and the back sections were closed. Like I don't know if I should stay or not. I closed my seat. And then a whole bunch of you showed up, so we opened them up. That's awesome. Some of you haven't sat this close to somebody <laughs> in a long time. But there's something powerful that happens. There's something powerful that happens when we're close to one another, just in proximity, the sense of being and belonging. And as we will invest our time in those relationships, it's prevention, because no one in here, none of us, none of us are above a traumatic event in our life that removes the connection, that removes what we thought was purposeful and we find ourselves in a heap of ashes. And I can promise you this, your Twitter followers, your Facebook friends will not show up at your living room. Truth be told, there's a good chance your pastor won't show up in your living room because that's not your pastor's job. My job is to equip us to be in community and care for one another and love one another so that every person who says, I'm a part of Crossroads has that connectivity with another follower of Jesus who provides care and love and support. That doesn't mean a pastor would never show up at your house. It's just to say that's not the primary mechanism of Christian community and of care and connection. It just doesn't work. And so if we will invest in those relationships, we are setting ourselves up for that moment when disconnection happens. And if we will do this, if we will pour ourselves into unconditional love, if we, will, if we will set ourselves up and say, I'm gonna invest in real relationships, if we'll start to flip the script a little bit around punitive justice and restorative justice, the Lord will begin to work and do amazing things. We see it over and over again in people's stories and they find purpose and connection out of the ash heap. And that's beautiful. So as we wrap up this morning, what is God inviting you into? In just a moment, we're gonna receive the offering. We're gonna get this place set up and we need to do that. And I need to get out of here and we gotta do all this good stuff. And I gotta put on my Woody costume for Toy Story. Stop by my booth, you're gonna love it. I can rock that costume. Wendy's Bo Peep, Micah's Jesse, it's gonna be a blast. But before we do all that, can I give you the gift of a minute to just reflect and invite God into your life a little bit today? and hear from heaven. So I hope that God is inviting you to be generous this morning when we receive the offering. I believe in what we do here at Crossroads. I'm excited to be a part of it. Our family, we tithe. We give above and beyond to tithe to ministries and support work because I believe generosity is powerful. And so I invite you and I hope God is inviting you to be generous to support great ministries like Celebrate Recovery and like our outreach of Oktoberfest and the people that organize us to do that. Maybe God is inviting you to something a little bit more specific around our topic today. Maybe there's an area in your life where you feel vulnerable to disconnection and unhealthy bonding. You've started to lean towards something and and the Lord just kind of whispered into your heart today or something whispered. You don't even know what it is. You might not have the language of God, that's fine. But something came to your mind. Maybe you just need to reflect. Maybe God's inviting you to begin braiding your life with Celebrate Recovery. You know, there's been a a struggle, a hurt, a habit, a hang up, something that you've bonded to that's holding you back. And you need to just give it a shot and, and take that step of courage this Friday night, go to Celebrate Recovery. Let me tell you something, there's no shame There's no dishonor. There is no undervalued. There is only courage in being to say, I think I might have something holding me back. And it's that you become an example for all of us. And maybe God's inviting you to invest in a person this week, a face-to-face relationship, somebody you love dearly and you haven't connected with face-to-face in a while. And you say, I need to do that. So as you have your connect card, as you're getting your offering ready, I'm gonna give you... 45 seconds of silence just a little bit to close your eyes and ponder what is God inviting you into today and I don't know what the spirit of God is going to whisper to you I just believe that the spirit of God will whisper to you if we'll listen it doesn't take a long time and if we'll trust we'll trust that when we ask God to speak God speaks because God is a good God so I give you this 30 45 seconds to just consider that and then I'll pray for us we look to you whisper to our hearts transform us give us the wisdom to know what you're inviting us into and the courage to step into it today and for those whose lives are intersecting with addiction I pray that you would understand the unconditional love of God that you are loved by God perfectly and that there is nothing you could ever do that would cause this God of the universe to love you any more or any less than God loves you right now that God loves you the same if you are trapped in addiction or if you have overcome addiction or if you have never struggled with addiction, that God loves you perfectly. May you hear that this morning and may it give you hope and may it give you the energy and the courage to take the steps into the transformation that God wants to do in your heart and your life. And now God, may we have an amazing party for our community here. May it be filled with people who need smiles and candy and kids. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. Welcome, Roddy's gonna get us out of here.